Okay, well welcome everyone. It's great to be with everyone. Uh, if you're watching online, so glad you've joined us that way. My name's Todd. If I haven't met any of you, I would love to, I've met some of you, but if I haven't met you, uh, I would love to meet you at some point. Um, and it is so good to be together. I love being a part of this place. Um, I've been here for uh, about 13 and a half years, and it, it just it doesn't get old being a part of this place, and it's because of you all. You're the most encouraging, supportive people that I've ever met. So thank you. Um, uh, listen, we are, uh, we are in a theme this year called uh, Transformed in 2018. And uh, the whole premise of this theme is that we would be, because of Christ, we would be different in December than we were in January. And I have to say this, one of the coolest things about this theme is that I think there are many of you who are different now in March than you were in January. Already, God is beginning to transform us more and more to be more and more like Jesus. And I love watching that happen here at this church. But we've got more to do. All right, so Last week, Pastor Joe launched a brand new series that we're calling The Cross Changes Everything. And last week, his message was entitled The Way to Forgiveness. And that was a powerful, powerful message about how the cross changes forgiveness. But this week, we're going to talk about how the cross is the way to endurance. So this message is entitled The Way to Endurance. Okay, my wife, her name is Jillian. And she is a runner. Now, I like to run to stay in shape, but she is a runner, and there is a big difference, okay? She will leave the house, and she will literally be out for hours, and the whole time she's running. I, I have no idea how that can happen. If you're one of those people, you are, are a different, interesting person. Um, but... <laughs> She has run marathons, and she's run a lot of half marathons. And last spring, she ran, I think it was her third marathon. And it was late in April. And late in April in, in Ohio is supposed to be pretty cool. But it was a day that it was unseasonably warm, and really it was hot. It was 80 degrees by the time she got halfway through her marathon. Uh, and so... I was following her around, you know, when you watch somebody run a marathon, you can see them at different spots. And, and I would see her at different spots on the, on the route, and she was looking great. I mean, she was cruising along, she was smiling, waving at me, and I was like, man, she's doing, she's looking good, she's running the pace that she wanted to run. And so it was going great, and then uh, me and a couple family members, we went to mile 22, and at mile 22, we were waiting, and based on her pace, we thought she'd be there any minute, but it was taking her a little longer. And as she, as she approaches mile 22, we finally spot her, and she just didn't look as good. <laughs> All right. And she was, she was running, and, and her run, you know, her run kind of turned into a really slow jog, which turned into just kind of a walk, which turned into almost like a limp. And as she approached us, she literally just stopped and put her hands on her knees like this. And we go, whatever you do, don't sit down. And I'll never forget what happened next. She just goes, Ugh. she sits right on the curb just like that. We're going, no, because we know 
it's going to be really hard for her to get back up once she sits. And she looked up at me and she goes, honey, I don't, I don't think I can do this. And, I, and so as a husband in that moment and as a competitor, that's a hard place to be because there's some things I want to say, but I'm also trying to be sensitive to my wife at this point. And so I'm thinking in my mind, you only have four more miles, but that's not what you want to say because four miles would destroy me, all right, let alone having run 22 already. And so she sits there for a while, and we kind of rub some of the cramps out of her legs, and, and you know, she, she gets some fluids, and I'm thinking to myself, she's done. I'm going to go get the car, and I'm going to bring it around to here because she's not finishing this race. And I'll never forget what happened next. It was, it was amazing because she, just when I thought all hope was lost, she stood up, drank some water, threw it on her head, and it was as if that you would like cue the Rocky soundtrack at this point. She said, I'm doing it. And she got up and she just took off. She ran the rest of the four miles without stopping. And I made it to the finish line to see her sprint, or what she thought was a sprint, through the finish line. It was, it was an amazing kind of glorious time. And I tell you that story because I think Following Jesus is a lot like running a marathon. Following Jesus is an endurance sport. And the reason I say that is because you know this. There's times in your life where you are, you are running along following Jesus. Things are going really well. You feel like the wind's at your back. You're at church. You're smiling, waving. Things are so good in your faith. And then that trial comes. That, that issue that really starts to bring you down and your run kind of turns in to a jog which turns into a, a walk and then a limp and then before you know it you got your hands on your knees and you're sitting on the curb and you're going, I just don't think I can do this anymore. If you've ever been there or if you're there right now, this passage, this message is for you. So open your Bibles to Romans 5. We're going to read Romans 5 verses 1 to 6. And here's what it says. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screens. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not, dis does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Yeah, that's God's word for us today. And I'm going to read verse 3 again because we're going to spend a lot of time just in verse 3 today. Here's what verse 3 says. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Okay, so if we understand that following Jesus is an endurance sport, then the question is, how do we build our endurance as followers of Christ? And Paul gives us 
the answer right in this passage. He says, you want to build your endurance, you want to make it for the long haul as a follower of Jesus, then here's the secret. Suffering. It's not flashy, but that's what he says. He says, the secret is you're going to have to go through some stuff. You're going to have to face some trials if you want to build endurance. And so if suffering is the key to building endurance, and I want to talk about three things about suffering today. And here they are. Here's the three points. The first is that in suffering, you have a decision to make. You have a fire that refines. And then you also have a hope that grows. So a decision to make, a fire that refines, and a hope that grows. Okay, so first, you have a decision to make. Now, when you face suffering, because everyone does at some point, you face some trial in your life, it is not a guarantee that it will build endurance. Because it's not about the fact that you are suffering, it's actually about how you approach suffering and how you respond to suffering. And Paul tells us in this passage how we should approach suffering. When trials come your way, this is what he says. In verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. We rejoice in our suffering. Okay, so if today you are sitting here, you are going through a trial, maybe there's a diagnosis or an illness or you lost a loved one or, you know, financial trouble, whatever the trial is that you're going for, what Paul is saying to you today is this, rejoice. And you're like, seriously? <laughs> Rejoice. And let me try to explain what I, what I think it means, to that what, what I think Paul is saying. And first we have to understand what it doesn't mean. Okay? When Paul says rejoice in his suffering, he's not saying that you rejoice for your suffering. Like, yay, I'm suffering. Okay? That's, that's not what this means. Um, if if your suffering is bringing you down, is making you sad, is making you angry and frustrated, you are not sinning against God and going against this passage because let's just be honest, that's what suffering makes you do. That's what trials make you do. Even Jesus was grieved by the suffering that he experienced. So that's not what this passage is saying. And and it made me think of this, it made me actually think of this commercial that you may have seen lately. And this commercial shows us exactly how we're not supposed to respond to suffering. So go ahead and roll that commercial real quick. DirecTV has been rated number one in customer satisfaction over cable for 17 years running. But some people still like cable, just like some people like banging their head on a low ceiling, drinking spoiled milk, camping in poison ivy, getting a paper cut, and having their arm trapped in a vending machine. But for everyone else, there's DirecTV. All right, now we, we don't support DirecTV or anything like that. But that, that commercial cracked me up because that's just not the way it works. It's not how you respond to suffering. Um, you, you're not happy about your suffering. So then what does it mean when Paul says rejoice in your suffering? And here's... Here's what I think it means. When you, when you look at the word uh, rejoice in the Greek, it's also translated in other passages, uh, or sorry, in other translations, it's translated into the word boast. 
So you could also say you boast in your suffering. Now, it doesn't mean that you brag about your suffering. Like, look at me. Isn't this great? I'm suffering. But it's that you have this confidence even in the midst of your suffering. So when, you, when it says rejoice in your suffering, it's not that you have this, this happiness about your suffering. It's that you have this confidence in your suffering. And the confidence isn't in the suffering. The confidence is in something else. The confidence is something that you know to be true no matter how bad life gets right now. And I want to turn you to a passage that helps us with this. So 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to spend a little bit of time in 1 Peter. I want to read starting in verse 6. It says this, In this you rejoice. Again, there's that rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And then I'm going to skip down to 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay, so when you are in the midst of suffering, the reason you can rejoice is because you have confidence in the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. And the only way that you can know that you have salvation for your souls is from verse 6, back in our passage in Romans. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You see, in the midst of your suffering, you place your confidence in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because it has accomplished salvation for your souls, and that's the only thing that can never, ever be taken away from you or I as believers. And so, you have this decision to make. Suffering comes, trials come, and you have a decision to make. Do you place your confidence in yourself, in the things of this world, or do you place your confidence in the cross of Jesus Christ? And that's your decision. But if you decide to place your confidence in the midst of your suffering in the cross of Jesus Christ, just like our series is called, the cross changes everything. It changes everything for you, even in suffering. So that's the first one. You have a decision to make. The second point is that there is a fire that refines. There is a fire that refines. Okay, so when my wife finished that marathon she ran those last four miles she was still going through pain it was still hot it was still hard but she finished that race because she knew something she knew something that was coming and what she knew was that there was a finish line and crossing that finish line was going to be a wonderful thing and the pain that she was experiencing in those last four miles was getting her somewhere. It was getting her to the finish so she could experience the glory of finishing a marathon. Well, what it says in verse 3 of this passage, it says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. All right, so we know 
that our suffering is not in vain, but it's getting us something and somewhere. And the only reason that we can know this is because of the cross of Jesus Christ. When we look at the cross, we not only see that Jesus has saved our souls, but that his suffering got him something. His suffering was not in vain. And so when we look at the cross of Jesus Christ and we, we see our suffering differently, we know something to be true about suffering. And that's that our suffering is going to do something inside of us that couldn't happen without the suffering. Does that make sense? Our suffering is going to do something. And one of the things that it does is that it refines us. It refines us. And let me, uh, let me read to you back in 1 Peter, same passage that we were in, 1 Peter 1. It says in verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by these various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right, so one of the things that suffering does is that it refines us. It tests the genuineness of our faith, much like the gold that is refined that's talked about in this passage. So if you want to purify and refine gold, I don't know if anybody's ever seen this or done this, but you take a piece of gold and you put it in to a furnace where it gets heated up really hot. And what happens is that all the things that are attached to the gold that aren't the real thing, that aren't the gold, it's called dross, burns away. The only thing that remains, the only thing that can take that kind of heat is the gold itself. And so when you pull it out of the fire, it's just pure gold. All right, so think about your own heart. Think about your own heart. There are so many things that compete for, for, for our hearts. And we place our hope and our security and our identity in so many things other than Jesus. We place it in our wealth, in, in our comfort, in our social status, in, in all kinds of different things. And they're all the wrong things. And we admit it, all of us do this. But when we go through a trial, what happens is that the only thing that can withstand the heat of the trial is the salvation of our souls through Jesus. The only thing that can withstand the heat is Jesus himself. So what happens is he refines us. All those other things that we thought were really important, they begin to melt away in the trials. They become a lot less important and God ends up realigning our hearts to him and, and he refines us and he gets our priorities straight in the trial. See, our suffering is doing something for us. And when, when he refines us, what happens is Jesus becomes the more of the priority in our hearts and our lives than he's ever been before. And we experience a presence of Christ that we have never experienced before. We feel like he is right there with us. There is a story in the, uh, in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel. 
And there's three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You may have heard this story from all the way back in Sunday school, but it's a great story because these guys would not bow down to the king because they worshiped God. And so the king decided to punish them by throwing them into the fiery furnace. And he, and he, put the, he heated up this furnace really, really hot, and he put them in the furnace. And the, the soldiers that actually put them in the furnace died because it was so hot and they got close to the flames. That's how hot it was. But when the king came over to check on these guys, thinking they'd be in great pain, he looked down into the furnace and realized they were walking around in the furnace unharmed. But there were no, there were no longer just three. There were four in the furnace. And the king didn't even understand it, but he looked down and he said, and the fourth one looks almost like a, like a son of the gods. Does this sound familiar? So he let them out of the furnace and three came out. You see, when you are in the midst of the trial that you're in, you will be refined, but you also are promised that Jesus will go into that trial with you and he will be there. And you may sense his presence more in that trial than you ever have before. And I want to encourage you, if you are going through the trial, I want you to to read this over and over again after you leave. But Isaiah 43 says this in second half of verse 1 and 2. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. The truth about our trials is that they refine us, but they will never consume us. Because you have salvation as a believer in your soul that can never be taken away and lasts for all of eternity. All right, so in your suffering, you have a decision to make. You have a fire that refines but doesn't consume. And then lastly, you have a hope. You have a hope that grows. You have a hope that grows. So, back to Romans. It says, in the first two verses of our passage, 5, 1, and 2, it says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Okay, so... None of us would argue this as believers. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you place your faith in Him, you get a hope that you didn't have before. But what this passage is saying, it goes on to say that this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Okay, and then that leads us to hope. But what, what this is saying, is saying not only that, it's like it's an infomercial. Have you ever heard one of these infomercials? where they're trying to, to, to sell you on this thing, and they go, they go, but wait, there's more. That's what this is saying. This is saying, you think you had hope before? Just wait until you go through something hard. You will have more hope than you've ever had before. And it, it's a hard thing to understand, but that's what this passage is saying. And it goes on to say, your sufferings, 
produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not, dis, does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So once you approach suffering with confidence in the cross of Christ, it's like this chain reaction of transformation. Your, your, your suffering produces the endurance. Endurance leads you to the strength of character. Then the strength of character leads you to a hope. And it's the same hope you had before, but it's actually even better in this strange sort of way. And, and let me explain what I mean by that. So in, in my house, we have a boiler heating system, which is really old. They don't do that much anymore. And it's the, the boiler heat is kind of a, a water-based heat that runs through these pipes and then comes up and radiates out of these radiators. So I've got a radiator in every room of my house. Um, and so we know, and this is like every house, the colder it gets outside, the, the higher the heat kicks on, right? And in my house... Not only do you feel the heat, but you hear the heat because of the radiator. The water expands and you kind of hear it happening. And whenever you hear that, that, that thing kind of clicking, you know that it's really cold outside. And the heat is coming and it's working hard to bring heat to your house. I think this is what Paul is, Paul is saying here. He's saying that the cold is like suffering. And the heat that comes from the radiator is like the hope inside of our hearts. And the colder it gets, the more suffering, the more trials that we have happen in our lives, the more that hope heats up. I think hope has a temperature. And the more we suffer, the more hope rises in our hearts and heats up and grows within us. And it's a hard thing to understand, but I think this is why. Look at verse 5. It says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Because what, here's what happens. The Holy Spirit's always been there. But have you ever noticed this? When things are going really well in your life, you are not nearly as dependent and as aware of the Holy Spirit in your life because you just don't need him as much. But as soon as you go into a trial and you have your confidence in Christ, you are more dependent and more aware of the Holy Spirit in your life and in your heart than you ever have been before. And the hope inside of you grows and it's God's love is like a flood that comes rushing into your heart. And, and radiates like a radiator of heat in my house. It radiates out of you even in the midst of your suffering. That's why, have you ever watched a strong believer suffer? It is a beautiful thing because even in the midst of their suffering, they say, I've never felt so close to Jesus before in my life. And you can see it in their face. No matter what they're going through physically, spiritually, they are more alive than they've ever been before. That's because of this passage that I just read. It's because that's the truth of Scripture. And what those people can say and what you can say even in the midst of your suffering is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said this, For these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 
So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Listen, following Jesus is an endurance sport. And if you are at that place today where where you are facing a trial and your run has turned into a walk and a limp and you are now sitting on the curb going, I don't think I can do this anymore. I want you to know something. Place your confidence in Christ. Hang on because you might experience more transformation than you've ever experienced before, even in the midst of your suffering. Let me pray. Father God, we, we thank you for this. This is a hard one because it, it's hard to make sense. This is counterintuitive that suffering is somehow going to draw us closer to you, but it's the truth of your word. And so, Father, we give it to you now, and I ask that, Lord, you would help those, especially now, who are experiencing hardship in their life, that they would place their confidence in the cross of Christ be refined by the fire, and know that they will never be consumed by it. Father, those who have maybe yet to experience this, I pray that they grow their roots deep in Christ so that they prepare themselves when that trial does come that they can also place their confidence in the cross because the cross changes everything. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.